are Locked On Rays, your daily Tampa Bay Rays podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into another edition of the Locked On Rays podcast, and we are proud to be joined by Jeff Ellis, who is the host of the Locked On Guardians podcast, and you can find him on Twitter at Jeff MLB Draft. Uh, Jeff, I know... Well, we should all know that the MLB draft, the 2022 MLB draft is right coming up. Uh, is this like your Christmas? Are, are you as pumped as anybody right now that this, uh, this event is happening over the next couple of days? It's always a weird feeling because it's like it's this mix of dread and also like uh, like excitement. It, it's really unlike anything else. I, you know, I the, the brag part of the time is like, Back when, before Scout folded and 24-7 got rid of baseball, I was like a national guy. So this was like uh, kind of a crazy time. Like I remember doing like, you know, 50 over a four-day period, doing like 50 or 60 radio spots while trying to like contact with agents and and my people, you know, the people I talked to who were involved with teams. And you try to try to do, you know, your best mock possible. And it's just like to go back, it's like my strongest mock ever was that first year at Scout. I tied for the most picks, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And it was also, that was the year I remember just, it's the fun. It was back before it was like a huge thing and a lot of people did it. So it's like, I got to be on John Stash Hour's radio show, like on ESPN yeah. across the country. It was, it was a cool thing. But now that, um, you know, it's great to be at Locked On and I'm had, happy to, to have a journalistic job, honestly, with baseball when it comes to it. And I still love the draft. So my listeners get stuck listening to a lot of draft takes. But it's a little less stress, so it's not quite as nerve-wracking. Now it's just kind of like I, I put out my final big board. I had done some like ones through the podcast throughout the year, but I sat down and wrote it out um, just last night I posted it. So it's, uh, it's a little more laid back, but it is, it's weird because when you spend this much time and effort, it, there's, you're really excited for it, but then you're also really excited for it to be done <laughs> at the same right. time. How soon after the 2022 MLB draft do you look forward to the 2023 MLB draft? Because that's always the joke with the NFL is that like the minute after the last pick is complete that Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay and all the others already have their 23 big boards up and running, so to speak. So I don't necessarily have the big board up and running unless, you know, like I, sometimes you're right. Like Adlai Rushman, like immediately went to one. Like I felt mm-hmm. comfortable with that. Casey Mize for me went right to one and you can judge whether or not I was right there. Like those are guys, but mostly it's honestly, like if you were to, you know, like I said, I, I posted on, I have like a, a blog spot now, just because again, it's more of an addiction than anything else. I have to still talk about the draft. Uh, if you were to look at like the raw one that I wrote in your Google doc, it's like at the bottom is just names. So honestly, it's like right now, pardon the random voice issue there, but right now I have just names. Like I have my 2023 document. If someone is popped, if someone is interesting, I mean, honestly, Dylan Cruz is probably that guy, like as you talk about next year. And he was my number one outfielder in the 2020 class before he, he enrolled. Like he was the guy who I, I felt very confident about. Uh, You know, I liked him more than, than Hassel and more than Veen. And I'm trying to think who was there was even before Hassel and Veen, there was like uh, and Hendricks who went to the Reds, but there was I feel like another like really toolsy guy who was also high on the list that I'm kind of blanking on. But like I, I thought it was Cruz, and he's just done everything to prove it. So 
Pardon me. You kind of put together that list, but like the, the, the thing that always gets overblown is the high school kids. Like that's because people start throwing out like general, like Elijah green in this year's class. Very good player. Don't, don't get me wrong. Very Mm -hmm. good player. But like he got people last year at this time were like, he's a generational talent. He'd be the top player if he was available in the 2021 class. And it's like, no, no, like, because we haven't really dove into him. It's, you know, mm-hmm. the same thing with, with so many guys that kind of get that label uh, and you'll hear it, but you may not hear it as much. Cause I do feel like Dylan Cruz, this is already like his draft to lose when it goes, but yeah, I mean, you're kind of, if you're doing it right, you're compiling things to the side while you're compiling this year. And then I just roll to the next sheet. And then honestly, it's, I go and I'll pull out my, you know, the, let's see. So it's the, I'll pull out my 2020 draft list and then just copy paste all the names of the guys who went to school over to my new document. So even if they haven't like, like Alex McFarland at university of Miami, he hasn't been the most successful guy in this year's class. He's still on my list because I, he was on my list out of high school. So I just, I track guys. And then there's, you know, like there are those guys like um, this gets so in the weeds, but like I always talk about Zach Shannon. He was an Ohio kid. Uh, He and, uh, Cameron Vagara were the top guys. Vagara being a second round pick of the race to tie it back around a few years mm. ago. And the last Ohio kid uh, to really go highly, I think that high in the draft was Vagara uh, when he went to the race a few years ago. But Shannon ended up being like a fifth year draft pick out of the Rangers. But like I was just always pulling him off, you know, to the next list, to the next list, to the next list because he was good enough out of high school to kind of get your attention. And then he, he took a circuitous route cause he went to a Juco rank. So he immediately became draft eligible the next year. So you have those guys you're kind of tracking uh, for five, six years. And sometimes they'll still go and pull up like the baseball reference on someone and be like, what happened and start tracking backwards. So uh, it, again, for me, it's less of a hobby, more of an addiction. So yeah, I mean, I have those lists, but I have those lists because I, I love, I love tracking the minutia. Understandable. Understandable. So generally, how does this year's crop of talent for the uh, 2022 MLB draft compare to 2021? About the same, a little bit stronger, a little bit weaker. How do you evaluate that as of right now? I think like the top, the top of it is probably a little bit deeper. That first tier is better though. I would argue the past few years, there really hasn't been a a tier one, one type of player. And Mm -hmm. the reason I say that is, I mean, I absolutely like Drew Jones could be better than his dad. And his dad was on a hall of fame track before he hit age Mm -hmm. 30. So like, don't view it the wrong way, but there's also some risk to that profile. Like when I'm talking about a tier one, one guy for me, that's been like Rushman where like, I, I didn't see a route for him to fail outside of injury. And typically it's harder for a high school guy to be there. Like that's when you have that elite college player is, is kind of because you just, you know, you know, it's safer. It's, it's the Strasburgs. It's the guys like that where you have enough data and you have enough exposure. Now that second tier is honestly for me about seven guys deep. I'm not, I mean, Jacob Barry is eighth on my board. He's just kind of a, a slight step down for me. Like I'm not, I know some people have him like in the twenties and other people have him in the top five. But I think that top seven is kind of the strength of it, and it's deeper than last year's grouping. And then it weakens out a lot. Um, last year's group was was the best college pitching crop I had ever seen. This year's is the worst college pitching crop I have ever seen. So it's complete opposite ends, complete opposite spectrum. I mean, my top college pitcher, it's all projection. It, it's uh, what Connor Prelip showed us before his injury, and it's, what, 20 innings? I have, like, three guys in my rankings from the college ranks who threw 
uh, under 30 total innings <laughs> as starters in college, or maybe that's not true. I've, uh, I have two guys under 30 innings and I think I have like two more who are, you know, essentially one and done years that weren't even like full years. Mm. So it's, that is a, an issue. And then I'm someone I'm more risk averse overall. So like, it is a very deep prep arm class. And like from my first prep arm appears on my own personal board at 20 from 20 to 50, I think I've got almost just shy of 10 players, if not 10 prep arms, it's a good group, but I'm just more risk adverse with those type of guys uh, in general. So there might be those who say it's just as evenly deep, but for me, it's deepest at the thing that tends to scare me the most. And it's, you know, it does have good college hitter depth and it has good catcher depth, which we don't often see. Mm-hmm. So those are some uh, overall positives, but I think it's a little bit of a weaker class. It's probably the weakest class in terms of how people feel since I want to say I could get this wrong now. I believe the 2013 class, which was the Mark Appel, um mm. first overall pick. You know, Chris Bryant popped from that class. J.P. Crawford has turned into a good player. That was the Aaron Judge class. So sometimes uh, Hunter Renfro, like there's been a lot of good players, but that was a class that was kind of viewed to be a little bit weaker. And honestly, it just meant more of those kind of top 10 picks didn't work out. We saw kind of a, a that situation. So I think it's a little bit of a, a weaker class. And then it's just positionally college bats better than a year ago. Prep bats weaker than, well, Again, that top tier is so good. It's just the depth isn't necessarily there with the prep bats, I'd say. Prep arms definitely stronger. Uh, college arms definitely weaker. You mentioned college arms being maybe the weakest you've ever seen or covered. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, why, in my 14 have, years. Do you have any reason or indication why this year is so, I guess, to put it not so nicely, god-awful? Or just why it's like, wow, why is it it's so weak and barren? This year. So I think part of it is the moving back of the draft hmm. because when we had it in June, it's like the, the rule of like 30 days after the draft. Uh, so many players, you know, have summer birthdays and like that summer birthday is such a, you know, I had, I, I, you know, my birthday was this week. Like I was one of those people, like I, my parents waited. So I was all, always the old kid. Cause I was six the whole, you know, I started school as opposed to five mm-hmm. and by moving it back a bit, like we've opened up all of those birthdays where there was all of those decisions, like specifically, like these are the age ranges, the months where those kids, it, it leans on the fence. Like, would they be draft eligible? Would they not be draft eligible in two years? So a lot of guys were draft eligible last year who may not have been draft eligible when it was back at a June date. So I think shifting the draft has led to an increase in sophomore draft eligibles, which, you know, has led to less of them being there. Um, you know, which means then you have less juniors. And I think we're seeing some of that and we'll continue to see that. I mean, the draft is even later this year. So you have guys that, uh, that absolutely would have never been available as draft eligible sophomores that a hundred percent are now who are going to go. I mean, I, I've never had so many sophomore draft eligibles and it's just, I mean, it's, it's logic, right? You know, later draft Mm -hmm. means later, more birthdays are uh, there. So I think it's partially that Uh, you would go back to, you know, the 2019 class was also one of the last, like, really long draft classes. And it was also one of those where you could go, like, I remember Jim Callis talking about the ability to go a little bit more, like, teams could go up to, like, 120,000. And players seem more willing to take that on that day three round. So you had a lot of teams um, who 
got a lot of talent out of that class. So it's, I think next year's class, it should be a really interesting one. Cause it's that mm. it's the, you know, kids who didn't go in the 2020 class, which is only six rounds. Right. Or was it only five rounds? I can't remember. It's, yeah. it's you know, the, the guardians always have their comp pick like the rays do. So I'm like, they made six, they made six selections. So I think it was only five rounds. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be the interesting one. But I think a lot of it is honestly just that shift. We've got to tell you about, BlueNile.com. You can make your moment sparkle with jewelry from BlueNile.com and Locked On Sports listeners will get $50 off purchases of $500 or more. This podcast exclusive includes engagement as well. So use code Locked On. That's code Locked On, L O C K E D O N. Plus, every order is insured, ships free, and arrives in discreet packaging that will not give away what is inside. So shop stress-free and find your forever piece. Go to BlueNile.com today. As far as that shift in moving the draft to cross over with All-Star Game festivities and I believe being in L.A. as opposed to the draft being in, say, early June, do you think that's a smart move on the whole for baseball going forward to try to put more of the spotlight on the draft when and where they can? I think so because people love drafts. Like, I think yeah. it's just the truth of the matter. It doesn't, I know everyone's like, it's the baseball draft. They're years away. It gets eyes. Like, this is when I got that job at Scout, I was actually replacing Kylie McDaniel there. Um, and we had the same editor, Melissa Lockard, who's um, over at The Athletic, like one of the best people I've ever met in this business. If uh, she hears it, I, you know, she <laughs> should know that. I, I love Melissa. She was great. But, like, it was not a huge group. Uh, I I worked for Chris Crawford for, like, two years before that at his site, who was one of Keith's disciples, along with Eric Long and Hangin. You know, my good buddy Taylor Blake Ward, he used to be part of the Lockdown Network. And I were carved out. I, I remember, like, Hudson Belansky, who's now a scout with Arizona. Like, when he was doing it, he was the best in the industry. Like, there was no doubt in my mind. Like, my favorite guy now is Brian Sikowski over at Perfect Game. It's not a knock on Carlos or anyone else. Like, Carlos is the nicest dude. But like you always have your favorite, and for me, it's Brian. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Hunt, Hudson, everyone agreed he was just. And I remember like he did a thank you to like five people, and it was like you know his competition, as he called it. And he talked about Kylie, and he talked about Taylor, and he talked about Keith, and he talked about me and t- uh, Taylor, and maybe two other guys. There was you know at that point in time like seven people covering it. Mm-hmm. There is so many more now. There are so many right. people who are much smarter than me who are really able to even understand the data that I'm just learning about now that are so far ahead of the curve. So there's the interest is growing just in terms of people covering it. So I think it's smart to move it selfishly. Like part of me loved having it. You know, I'm a teacher. So like it was always kind of nice. Like, okay, school year's done. Uh, At least when I taught in Ohio. Now, uh, since I'm in Wisconsin, it would have like almost overlapped. So it it, it is good they've moved it now in that regard. But it's always nice to just kind of be done over and through. But it's also better for the the players. You know, I remember Ryan Rolson sitting there pitching in the College World Series like in the middle of a game while the draft is going on. And like, how is he supposed to focus? Like, you know, getting drafted while you're pitching Yeah. Uh, for teams. It's nice that we can go out and see what guys are doing in the Cape Cod league. You know, Carson Wisenhunt hasn't pitched all year because of the suspension. Uh, yeah. He's not pitching great in the Cape Cod, but you at least get to see him. And then his overall, like his performance is bad, but what he's showing makes you feel good. Um, well, one of my favorite uh, sleepers is absolutely destroying uh, the Cape Cod league right now. So it's, it, it gets more exposure, it gets more time. And for like, if you draft a pitcher, you're going to shut them down anyways. Like they're not going to pitch uh, for a college kid, for a high school kid, you might get a few innings. You're not losing that much internal coaching 
but you're getting more opportunities to look. And for the players, they get to, you know, they get some time to think too, because the baseball draft is weird. It has the pool system. And at first I thought I'd hate it, but like, it's kind of an interesting, you know, wiggle of trying to figure out your pools and giving a kid a few weeks after the season's done to figure out and correlate, like, cause they're getting offers. You know, everyone knows what a player wants when you draft them for the most part, there are the exceptions like what happened to Jude Fabian a year ago. But for a player, you can also just take that second and kind of look at everything. Be like, okay, this is about what the market appears to be. This is what I'm going to ask for. This is what I'm going to accept. So I think it's mm-hmm. it's better for all sides. And I think I wish they'd continue to press it more. And I wish we got better people. Like this is going to get me in trouble. I don't love having like Harold Reynolds out there who doesn't know these players who talks right. about like you know you can go find go watch the hunter dozier clip like that's the infamous one where he comps him to i can't even remember but it's like he you know harold reynolds is whatever you know if you love him you love him if you don't he's not your thing but he, he doesn't know the draft yeah uh, dan dan o'dowd was a former gm he worked for the guardians he was colorado his takes are sometimes ones that you know at least he's got you know some strong ones i think i would love to see more more of carlos Colazzo and um mm-hmm. i think you know john manuel now i believe with the twins he's not there anymore but like i'd like to see those people who actually like focus on this kind of get the focus i'd love to see the you got callis and mayo who are like two of the ogs when it comes mm-hmm. to the draft i have met them both uh two of the best individuals i've ever met too like just very open and willing to share their time and their knowledge and put those two front and center the whole time like let those right. guys go I, I would love to see them understand like you have guys that are like your your Kuiper and your McShay let's focus on the guys who who this is their job they love it they do it and again I know it might be controversial that like I'm bad talking others but for others I think it's just not their focus and it seems silly that we have someone focus on the draft when it's not their focus and then you have someone like Harold Reynolds talking about how a high school kid's going to be up in a year and it just sets up bad expectations for players for the casual fan which is then making the draft seem even less relevant. So you want to do everything because it's easy to market drafts. We love drafts in this country. Mm -hmm. We do. Yeah, absolutely. And another point on that, another big change for the draft is the contraction from 40 rounds to 20 rounds. Uh, And while that happened last year, right? Wasn't that the first year outside of 2020, which was just a, a wacky year with the five rounds only, but um, just kind of looking back and having some data now, what's your take on basically MLB cutting the draft in half going forward? So I'm old enough that when I started covering this, this is my 14th draft. There was 50 rounds. And mm. uh, back in the day uh, before the scout gig, I got the scout gig because scout brought in uh, Indians baseball insider that I wrote for. And they're like, Hey, you have a draft guy. We need a draft guy. And they brought me in. So I was just, I was very lucky at the time and very thankful for that opportunity. But when you did it in those 50 rounds, like rounds 40 through 50, uh, I remember when like they drafted uh, for Cleveland, uh, the Dolans or the ownership group, like they drafted the son there. They drafted, (laughs) you know, it's, you would draft anyone's family member. Now the guardians were also kind of infamous. Like it would have been like 2017 in those late rounds. Like they drafted Austin Martin, Issa Lacey. They drafted like five guys who ended up going in the top 10, three years later. And people would always get mad, but it's like, you can't talk to Issa Lacey until you draft him. And then you can get to know him. You can put down some roots. You can like discuss with a player and you can kind of do pre-drafting for down the road. Right. So there was a reason why they did that. Uh, 
honestly, you know, nobody signed all 40 picks. The only time that has ever happened is like when I am playing in an OOTP uh, simulation league, you know, <laughs> you or me, no one has ever signed all. I think the, the angels came close one year. I think they signed like 39 of 40. And the one they didn't sign was uh Depoto's son. I want to say, and it was like, he had, you know, he might've even been fired mid season and that affected it, but mm. it never happened. So it, it didn't make sense to go 40, uh, now teams would often get up to like 25, 30. So I still think like 25 would have been a little bit nicer, but I get it. There were so many teams that were just, I, you know, I can recall in, you know, there's the stories about like drafting John Wayne and things like that. But I mean, mm-hmm. if, in my coverage of this thing, like the Padres drafted Johnny Manziel, like, yeah. that gets forgotten, but like that, that did occur. The other side of that coin is uh, we talked about drafting for favors. Uh, Mike Piazza was a 62nd round draft pick because Tommy mm-hmm. Lasorda was his godfather. So sometimes it worked out, but right. yeah, I think it's, it's a good change. And as someone who used to write up every single Cleveland guardians draft pick, uh, let me tell you, I, I appreciated the drop from 50 to 40. And if I was still doing that, I would appreciate that drop to 20 even more. Cause it just took you so long to sit there and yeah. pull up all the data on each of those players. Online.net is your number one source for all your betting needs and sports information. Find all of the latest sports development, league reviews, and news, including this year's NHL playoffs, which already happened, guys, and Major League Baseball. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores. And BetOnline.net remains the best spot for all of your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. BetOnline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all of your favorite sports and events, including MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. BetOnline, where the game starts. Uh, Of course, this is a Tampa Bay Rays podcast, so I want to get Mm -hmm. your perspective on the direction that you think the Rays may go with their top pick any names that you're looking at or or a guy that you've honed in on that you think could be a good fit for the Rays franchise so the Rays do it just about as well as anyone it's like really between them and the Dodgers and I feel like I could be wrong I'm just pulling up my draft finder to confirm this that the Rays are definitely upside swings um, in recent drafts that Mm -hmm. they've gone for velocity a lot of times as well and I've talked about um you know, on the Guardians podcast, like the Guardians, what they do best is adding velocity. I feel like the Rays do such a good job of refinement. Like the Guardians do better about um, finding another gear. The Rays refine like nobody else. I, you know, Shane McClanahan was one of those guys mm-hmm. that I I thought he was drafted in the right range uh, because I didn't know if he'd ever have the control to really be uh, what he has become. But again, it's just what the Rays do so well. And like I said, I think when you're looking in that range in this class, it's just, yeah, that's right. Carson Williams a year ago. I couldn't remember, uh, outside of that 2020 year where it was weird because of the short draft where they went with the college player, they have been kind of more prep. And we do know there's a lot of arms at that point in the draft. Um, there should be prep arms galore, very interesting ones. Uh, you know, if they're willing to kind of do what they did with like, uh, Nick Bitsko, where yeah. they put a lot into that, it's like, it, you know, pick your flavor. Um, for me, like uh, a player in that range, I'm really high on that. I I don't know. I could see Tampa because Tampa is not is Owen Murphy. Um, people aren't necessarily as high on him because he's a six foot 
one right-hander, but like he's one of those two-way athletes. Like as a third baseman, he would have been a day three pick. Uh, three good pitches, easy velocity. If he was six foot three, we'd probably be talking about him as the number two guy in this class, maybe number one. Uh, like he's just one of those undersized types. Uh, makes me think of like Seth Johnson, who was an undersized righty. Uh, if they want to go college, maybe they go back to Campbell. Like Thomas Harrington is interesting from the perspective that like here's a kid who walked onto Campbell. Uh, it wasn't really a full-time pitcher until his junior year, lost his senior year due to COVID, a draft-eligible sophomore, just hasn't had reps. And he's pitched really well this year, but he's almost a blank slate. And a guy I would love to see them kind of gamble with, maybe not necessarily in round one, but we talked about like they're really good at refinement, they're really good with velocity. Reggie Crawford might be the most interesting player in this entire draft class. He threw four innings with Team USA, threw like eight innings at Connecticut. We're talking less than 20 total innings. He was hitting triple digits last year with Team USA. He's barely pitched. Like he is, he's mm. got a slider that, you know, is workable and there's not really a third pitch. He was a first baseman, mostly a power hitting first baseman for Connecticut until he got this chance. And then unfortunately he had Tommy John surgery. Uh, so we didn't really, but like he was a legit top 10 talent in this class. If he could go out and show that he could be a starter. So if you can get someone like him and if I'm his agent, if Tampa's offering me a decent amount of money, like that's where I'd want him to go, right? Like you want to go to a program that's good at development. Uh, you want to go to like that, that, I, I mean, I could be wrong. When I think of the tier of like developing, it's, it's Tampa, it's LA, it's Milwaukee, it's Cleveland, it's Houston, those mm-hmm. are the places like if I am his agent I, and if I'm him, those are the, I want to go to one of those spots. I want to go to the places cause he is raw. You know, he's going to be almost 22 and we're talking about a guy who's got less than 20 innings in his entire college career, but he would be just a fascinating, like he is that athletic high velocity guy that Tampa does really well with. And he's just a complete lump of clay cause he hasn't had those chances. So he's not a first rounder, but I think in that first round, uh, you know, it could be like Noah Schultz. He, he might be too pricey, but like, you know, he's big. Uh, J.R. Ritchie is another one of those like uh, college righty types. Maybe Brandon Berea. He would definitely fit the Rays approach. I think, you know, for a team that has drafted prep arms, prep talent makes another uh, high school pitcher makes a lot of sense right there. Do you see any scenario where the Rays would draft justin crawford the son of carl crawford i just don't see a pathway to him getting to them if i'm honest like he's got a lot of people who really like him and the top of this prep class is awesome you know you've got the i don't want to say it wrong the big four right you know you got your big four uh with halliday green uh, sorry i'm trying to get myself on camera here halliday green uh Drew Jones and John, uh, Tamar Johnson. And then you have your next grouping of like Jet Williams, Crawford, and Cole Young. And then it's a lot of like Eye of the Beholder types. Like, I mean, I have Micah, uh, Mickey Romero uh, kind of higher than some because I think he can play shortstop and I always place a high value on that. Uh, you know, the other guy, honestly, to consider there, like I don't think they get to Carl Crawford, but like if, if you want to, a raised type of guy. It might be Eric Brown, the coastal Carolina shortstop who he's going to go later and he probably should because he's got a weird swing. He's got a lot of moving parts. Um, you know, Zach Nito, the cam, another Campbell guy also has kind of a leg kick and I, it, you don't like the moving parts in any player, but 
Brown has just hit at every single level. He's an excellent runner. He's probably the best current defensive shortstop who's got like a top three round grade. And the Rays don't, you know, they, they allow themselves to draft weirdness. They're not kind of a team that would get uh, scared off by a uh, perceived issue. So if they're going to go bat, he might make sense in that range because they also do like up the middle athletes. Uh, but yeah, it's hard to see a pathway for Crawford falling just because the prep bat class has kind of like bins, like, and yeah. he's in, firmly in that second bin. And then the third bin is like much for like, I, I don't know. You know, I, sh- I probably should know, but, you know, you write it over the course of days. I don't know if I have, like, six prep bats in my top 40. It's not – there's good – no, I do have six because there's definitely a top seven. But I don't know if I have 10. Let's put it that yeah. way. Like, normally you have 10, 11, 12. I feel like this is a group, once you get past that first four and the next three, uh, it definitely – okay, so, yeah, Romero, Tucker Toman. that's kind of like that next grouping of guys. But – yeah, it's it kind of definitely evens out, and no, I've got nine guys instead of ten, and I did a top fifty-two. So it's you know, normally it's it's closer to like fifteen. It's normally almost like a third of it is caught as prep bats. So unfortunately, no. 